You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got a Bright Lights Big City show lined up for you. Michael Mendez from Marymount Manhattan College is on the show today, and it is, if I do say so myself, a really fun one. Um, I think you're going to feel it through just the audio, but Michael is very young to be in his distinguished position, and I think brings a really great different energy to the pod and, of course, his program. Um, he's also the first of our college guests who listened to an artist episode, at least that told me that they did, uh, since he's good friends with Josh Sagara, who's one of our early artist episodes. And I think he was bringing like an extra looseness, given that he expected me to throw crazy games at him and scream at him in Spanish, a la Josh's episode. Um, but before we jump into this interview with Michael, I just want to send a huge congrats to all of our seniors out there who are just now completing auditions. Uh, depending when you listen to this, you may be done or you may still have a few more, um, but it was such a joy for me and Leo and Megan in Chicago um, to spend some time with so many of our families as we traverse the country to be there and support you all. Um, I really loved getting to do warm-ups with many of you, to hang out in the green room with the students and the parents, and even interview a good bunch of you in those man-on-the-street interviews. That bonus episode will be coming out soon when we have time to splice them together and see if we can make something that's listenable and not just me shouting into a child's microphone. But for now, seniors, the waiting game. What can you be doing now? Distract yourself. Listen to some podcasts. Journal your experiences of what happened while it's fresh. Please don't spend your whole next three weeks obsessing over what they did or did not say to you in the auditions. Spoiler alert, this is part of my takeaway for this episode, and it's a long one, so enjoy that at the end. Uh, One thing you seniors can be doing, of course, is sending some good karma into the world by telling your junior friends about the pod. You can write a review for us on your podcast platform of choice. And of course, you can tell them about our upcoming junior workshop. You can even do all three. And for those junior and younger listeners, if you haven't yet joined MTCA, this junior workshop is a free webinar on February 27th from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern time. It's free with, of course, no obligation beyond that and a great chance to meet me and Megan and learn a bit more about how to launch your personal process with MTCA. You can head to the link in the show notes of this episode or go to our main website. That's mtcollegeeditions.com and click junior workshop. Uh, Some people have been asking me, and yes, it is just a simple Google form to sign up. You don't have to put any credit card information or anything like that. Some people are like, did I register? Did I do it? Yes, you did it if you filled out the Google form, and we'll see you then. All right, no more ado. Let's get to this interview with Michael Mendez. (music) 
Well, we are honored to be joined by Michael Mendez at Marymount Manhattan College. Uh, Michael has a BFA from the University of Arizona. Um, he originated the role of Fatty Arbuckle in the Broadway production of Chaplin, um, and also other New York City credits like um, Fat Camp the Musical Off-Broadway and many more. Um, he's currently working on his MFA in directing at the University of Idaho, where we hear he's in his final semester. Um, he's taught previously at places like Ryder University and is currently an assistant professor of theater arts at Marymount. Manhattan College, which is located in New York City. Um, they have class sizes of about 40 to 45 students for BFAs in musical theater. They offer that BFA in MT, BFA in dance, BFA in acting. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm good. It's so good to be here, Charlie. Thanks for having me. It's it's one of the first times I've called it the show. Normally I say welcome to the pod, but it means we've got to put on a show today now to really right. live I'm, up to that. I'm, I'm ready. You know, it's uh, I'm, I'm hyped. I'm energized. I've had my coffee, so I'm ready to go. It. I'm getting that vibe. <laughs> um, before we dive into I really want to uh, ask a bunch of questions about Marymount. Um, I'd just love to do, I did that really brief bio of you, but tell me a little bit of the fun shorthand version of you finding your way to um, this position. So, you know, it could be fun facts along the way, cool stuff that got you here, anything that that led you to this path of of being an assistant professor. It's it's really crazy. I mean, I, I it's something I always thought I would do, but like maybe 10 years down the line, uh, I didn't expect I'd be doing this right now in my career, in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up doing training programs basically my whole entire life. I went to the Orange County High School of the Arts. Um, so I studied with like Matthew Morrison was one of my teachers. Susan Egan was in charge of the program while I was there. So I was always inspired by learning from professionals and people who were in the industry mm-hmm. um, as a student. Um, and after 13 years of acting in New York City, um, an opportunity kind of presented itself to teach one class at the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts. Uh, I jumped on it uh, and then I, I fell in love with it. And I, it, you know, as an actor after 13 years, there was times where I was like, do I still want to do this? Is it wearing me down? And that really just energized me again. Mm-hmm. I realized that like I could provide so much for, you know, students in college. And I, I applied for writer during the pandemic because I started teaching right before the pandemic happened. Applied for writer to teach class there, got that job. And then I found this Marymount job on a Facebook ad and it was two weeks past the deadline. I saw it, you know, this full-time position. I was like, you know what? Like, why not? Like, I'm just going to put myself out there, see what happens. I wrote, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm really late. I love an interview. Probably not going to happen. Went through the whole process. The whole time I was like, you know what? This is going to be great experience down the line if I want to interview because as actors, I think it's the first time I've had a real job interview before. I'm used to just Uh like singing my song, doing my monologue, getting out of there. Um, And then, you know, they took a chance on me and hired me. So now I'm, I started as a visiting instructor of musical theater. And now I got promoted this year to a a tenure track as an assistant professor. So it's, it's been wild. That's so cool. Kids rarely hear the advice, spend more time looking at Facebook ads. So that's really good. Um, No, but I really love the point of, of, how much they inspire us. I mean, I, I say that all the time as a coach and so many of our, our coaches say that of like, we get so much from teaching this age group, especially of like there's it's, so much hunger and passion and, and it reinvigorates us. I feel like I'm such a better actor now after teaching for the last couple of years. I'm like teaching things. I'm like, oh yeah, I should go back and do that in my own yeah, work. I'm like, I got to hold myself accountable to that. Yeah. yeah so I'm really true. noticing the difference. It's great. Let's get into Marymount a little bit. So tell me from your experience in the past couple of years of teaching, you know, what do you see that sort of differentiates a Marymount student? What do you think makes someone sort of um, a quote unquote go, this person seems like they're, they, they feel like a Marymount kind of kid? You know, students who are extremely passionate about their art and about social change uh, and ready to live in like a big, diverse, artistic city 
for and for a lot of them, it's you know New York City is unlike anything where they came from. Because uh, mm-hmm. we take a lot of students outside of New York. Um, you know, in our program, the majority of the school is based on arts programs. Uh-huh. Um, and so the students want to be surrounded by a community of artists in all their classes while living in a city that celebrates art and culture. Um, I think our students are creative change makers. They're curious, they're energetic, uh, and they want to make opportunities for themselves and not wait for someone to open the door for them, which I love. I love how they're constantly creating, they're putting on new works, they're, you know, they're collaborating with each other. So I think students who really want to collaborate and put on their own work and perform at all the different venues throughout New York City, such as, you know, 54 Below and Green Room 42. Um, those are the type of students who tend to, you know, join our program. I, I love it. And then tell me a little bit about the training in terms of, so that you come in, you're curious, you're excited, for, you know, all, the, all those things that you sort of think makes up a Marymount student. What are you learning freshman, sophomore, junior years? So what are you sort of, what is that progression, maybe especially as a musical theater student, um, skill-wise? So in their first year, uh, they, they start with a script analysis class in their first semester, really breaking down scripts as well as the fundamentals of acting classes. Um, every semester, they get uh, every student gets 14 private voice lessons. Uh, and then we have what we call daily dance. Uh, so our students are dancing Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 10, 20 mm-hmm. every single day. Two, two ballet, two jazz, and a tap. Um, and then we also have a fundamentals of musical theater course. So they're learning... Uh, you know, musical theater history in that course, as well as some piano skills, theory skills. Um, and a, a new course, it was actually part of my interview. And in my interview, they were like, you know, what are some courses that you think we should add? And we're actually now adding it this semester for um, the freshmen, which is going to be a uh, musical theater ensemble course, where they are, you know, learning to sing in harmony, and then putting those numbers on their feet and learning choreography skills and basic collaboration skills in their freshman year. Uh, sophomore year turns into more scene study. Uh, then we start our acting through song classes, uh, as well as they continue with their dance, um, and, and voice lessons. And then junior year, we get into musical theater scene study. Um, all that building up to their senior year, we're really focusing on book building and, uh, just getting them ready for the business and all those classes. Uh, I love that. That ensemble class sounds so like, it sounds like the kind of thing of like, you know, what have I learned from the business that actually would be helpful to, to bring to students? Because I think about that a lot. You know, you hear that in like sports stuff sometimes of like, what is it to kind of figure out how to be a role player and how to collaborate yeah. within the experience of being, I'm not the star, I'm in music man, but it's about Hugh Jackman in this moment. So how do I figure out how to support that and be, you know, it's like, we don't really have classes in that. That normally tends to be something you just learn from experience. But that, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I just directed I just directed the main stage show. We did Carrie. And so many of the students in the show, they were like, I haven't sang in like a group in since high school. And I'm that's like, right. and that was really, I'm like, great. This is going to be a great experience to learn early on in your training here. It's so true. So good. Um, you kind of mentioned, you flirted with that kind of opportunities in New York City. Um, and it's a big thing of, you know, a lot of people who want to go to school in the city, it might be because they do have visions of freshman, sophomore, junior year, they're doing work outside the the school. How does that work with school in terms of, let's say you were to book a show or, or book cabarets or different things like that. How does the school interact with um, sort of students who want to do work while they're in New York City? So it's tricky. I mean, obviously, we want your focus to be on the education. Uh we really encourage summer auditions and things for the you know January term or during the summer. And since we're in New York, you know all the theaters come to us, so we're able to have our students go to those auditions. As far mm-hmm. as other projects, well, you have to submit permission to audition. And a lot of that we tell them is because there's so many different companies in New York, and some are great and some mm-hmm. are a little sketchy. So we know those companies, and then we can make sure if this is something that's going to be a legit good experience for you or not, and can help guide if it's going to conflict with school or for something you can do. So 
a lot of these cabaret shows, these 54 below shows, the commitment is so small. It's going to be two nights and a weekend performance. We're like, great. Absolutely. Like you should mm -hmm. be getting out there, getting some, getting yourself on tape. So you can put that online, put that on your websites, those things we highly encourage. And then select things. Obviously if it's a big Broadway show or a big, you know, big tour off Broadway show, we'll have a conversation and be like, look, you can go, but then let's have a conversation. But for me, I'm like, I get it. I, if you get that job, I'm going to tell you, go take that job. We'll put you on hold. And if you want to come back after, like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we'll see where your career takes you from there. But we're not going to, we're not going to hold you back. We know why a lot of our students are here and choosing our school. Mm -hmm. Totally makes sense. Um, you mentioned the kind of different disciplines and different classes in each of them. Do you feel like Marymount has a focus if you were to say, hey, we tend to be more focused on music or focused on dance or focused on acting? Is there one of the three, if you're going to kind of call those the three pillars of musical theater, is one of them a little more emphasized than the others? I would say it's very balanced. I mean, and that's something we're still looking at is how I, as a new faculty, and as we are planning to change curriculum over the next couple of years, I want to move into bringing a little bit more acting into the program as far as requirements. Like we have a ton of electives in acting that go beyond what you're required to take. Uh, but right now, like for musical theater majors, for example, you're not currently required to take screen acting. But for uh -huh. me as an actor, I'm like, that needs to be a requirement for us. Uh -huh. So that's something we're building towards is adding certain requirements for acting. But because of our daily dance that, you know, they're dancing every single day, they're in voice lessons all the time. And we have at least one to two acting classes required for them every semester that I feel like it's really well balanced. And they're getting equal time in all three currently. And talk to me, you mentioned the, the change maybe from um, required to non-required or non-required to required with BFA um MTs to with screen acting. What, what other changes are you thinking about? You know, as you mentioned, you're sort of saying we're making some curricular changes. Like, what kind of stuff? You don't have to tell me all the secret yeah. sauce, but what kind of stuff are we moving toward as as you keep shifting? So right now, every program has different credit requirements, and we always tell our students like we are not a conservatory. We are a liberal art liberal arts program. Uh, Sixty credits are required performance classes for the BFA. Currently, we have 45 credits required in Gen Ed, but that's changing as of next year to 30, mm -hmm. which is going to open up a lot of opportunities to then have 30 credits full of electives. We are a school that highly encourages all of our students to minor or double major. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't want to do that, then you can use those 30 credits to do all performance-based classes. So as we're trying to develop, if we're going to add the 60 to more of like 70, 75 for our program, we're, I'm really looking at screen acting, having at least two full semesters in the senior year of those mm -hmm. being required classes. Uh, I'm also looking to add a full course in pop rock just for a full semester. As we do that work now in some of our classes, you know, based on what we're doing out there in the industry and what I'm auditioning for myself, mm -hmm. I'm like, we could use a whole semester working on this material because... It, it changes. Every, I mean, what I was teaching in pop rock five years ago is so different to what I'm teaching now yes. in pop rock. Uh, so that's something we're really looking to hopefully develop and add as a requirement in the next couple of years. So that's just a few examples. That's, that's beautiful. And, you know, we, we were saying 10, 15 years ago, oh, my God, the industry is so much pop rock. And it's like we still like you would not. Uh, I'm amazed by how much more it is still, pop, yeah. how much is continued. You look at Broadway shows, I'm like. It is all pop rock now. I it's mean, all, all, yeah. Which, you know, that may not, that may change. Ten years from now, there could be a big bunch of revivals and different that, you know, could totally yeah. shift. But certainly right now, it seems like the direction it's going. Um, talk to me a little bit. You mentioned uh, outside of the theater program, what kind of credits you can get from the college. Like, wh what kind of minors or if are students ever getting double majors? What kind of opportunities do they have educationally outside of the, the theater program? So within our, at least, theater department itself, what we really encourage our students to do in their sophomore year, because they don't have to decide until the end of their sophomore year. Most of them come in and are like, I just want to do musical theater. And we're like, mm -hmm. great, just give it some time. And I know that's going to change. Uh, so 
as we all have students that we advise as full-time faculty, and we all tell them, take an elective in something you're interested in. Take an elective in playwriting. Take an, a, a, a dance elective. Take an arts administration elective. And then if you love it, then let's add a full minor to it. And now you're already getting some of that credit. So uh -huh. a lot of our students do arts administration. Um, they do they do dance. They do music. And then we have some that double major in business, environmental studies. I mean, really, the options are open. And we allow them. We love to say we're a school of options. Mm -hmm. um, and we have so many. And we want you to... because. We want you to take other courses besides just musical theater courses. Mm -hmm. uh, it just makes you a better actor. It's to, to learn about politics, to learn about art, to learn about religion. It just you can open up your mind as an actor. Um, so we try and help you make those decisions and give advice on that. But really, we have, you know, 30 things you can minor in and so many things you can double major in. I love it. Um, you mentioned acting or acquiring some acting for musical theater majors. How about those acting majors? How do they interact with, overlap with, synthesize if they do it all with the musical theater majors in terms of, of their tracks? So their first two years, they are all of our BFA acting and BFA musical theater, they're all combined together. So they'll take their four core acting classes mm -hmm. intermingled with each other, as well as voice and speech. Those will also be intermingled theater history. They're intermingled. The only things they have separately are the specialized acting courses for the BFA and then the, the musical theater courses for the musical theater. But we, it's something that they didn't used to be that way. And it's a change they made a couple of years ago. It's what I did when I was in college. And I love that I got to work with acting majors and work with different people and not just be, and because our program is large, um, every semester, you're, you're locked in with the group for a year, but then every year you switch and are with new colleagues. You're not constantly working with the same actors every year. That's super cool. And then you mentioned dance every day. How, how does that work with leveling? So of the 40, 45, whatever the number of the, in the class, how, how many of them are in the same dance class versus how, how are you leveling them, if at all? So as soon as they arrive on the first day, uh, we do a dance placement. That's really just about making sure that everyone's in a level that they're going to feel comfortable in and not be overwhelmed by, you know, where everyone's at because, you know, everyone's in a different place. Uh, and then dance classes, it can be 12 to 20 people, depending on how big of a studio we're using for that. Uh -huh. um, and usually we have about four to five different sections per year. And they, every year they, the teacher reevaluates. So if they feel like, look, this student really excelled this year, let's move them up to the next level. Um, we also don't say like you're in this level because we don't want people to feel like, oh, I'm in, I'm in the lowest level. Of Three class. out of five. Yeah. Yes. But we all figure it out. All the dancers are like, oh, I'm in the bad level. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Sometimes they do. Uh, but it's we also do what we call dance share at the end of every semester, which is one of my favorite things at the school where we all go to the theater and every single section of dance. And we have like 18 sections of dance. They all get up and perform a number that mm -hmm. they were working on all year. So we can all celebrate their work as dancers and what they've been doing every year. And it's a really exciting, one of my favorite parts of every end of semester. I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about preparing for the launch into the business. So already you talked about some of these wonderful classes that you've added in that are kind of really business specific. I really I think it's really smart. Um, but, you know, as you think about uh, the end of, of graduating senior year and if there's going to be a showcase and if there's going to be industry representatives, how are you preparing the students for, you know, those years after graduation? It's so this is my first year. I'm teaching the senior, one of the senior professional prep courses this year, which has been great. I've really gotten to, I'm working on my syllabus right now because we start on Monday to kind of how I want that second semester to look. Um, something that I bring to every class, which is not required in the syllabus, uh, because I do think, you know, at a lot of colleges and at our colleges, like you don't really get that auditions course until your senior year. Mm -hmm. But yet I expect students to be auditioning for summer stock starting in their freshman year. Mm -hmm. So I teach the in, I teach sophomore, second year musical theater technique where we're learning that basic 
acting the song. And I always add in every single course at least two or three weeks of some kind of audition prep, audition skill to my work because I really want them to start knowing how to do that early on and start developing those cuts and what they're going to use and how to walk into a room early. So it's not like they're getting to their senior year and being like, I have no idea how to walk into a room. I expect that they've already done it at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So I find it's been extremely helpful because I'm still auditioning myself. I just finished a three-day callback situation going through, which I can't wait to share with my students when I get back to class on Monday. Um, So I'm really able to give them a hands-on, like, this is what's happening right Mm -hmm. now. This is what's, and now we're really back in person for things. I mean, it's crazy. I, I was at uh, Pearl Studios yesterday and I'm like, wow, everything's hey. back in person now. It's really, it's really happening again, which is great because my students have gotten so comfortable with self-tapes uh-huh. and I've really been trying to get them because you have to learn, like my performance on a self-tape is going to, it's different than the performance in the room. Yeah. You have to bring less when you're on self-tape. You got to bring more in the room um, and really get them, getting them to understand those differences because they're all now making these really tiny, small choices. And I'm like, it's not going to work when you're in a giant studio space. Yep. Um, so I, I feel like I'm giving them as much hands-on experience as possible. Uh, one of the great things we teach, uh, because our school is so big, but our campus is so small, we rent space throughout the city. We, we, mm-hmm. we say New York City is our campus. So I teach that class at Pearl Studios. So I'm able to walk my students in class. I'm like, okay, we, we all go together. I'm like, here's what an EPA looks like. Here's uh-huh. where you signed in. Right here's where there. you're going to have to wait. These are all the spaces. So they're so comfortable when they graduate. I felt like when I moved to New York, I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to sign up for anything. So I feel like I'm giving them very hands-on, like this is exactly what to expect and what it's going to be like. Um, And they seem to be responding really well to that so far. And I feel like my students are so prepared to graduate, at least to to put themselves out there. And and they're going to be ready to audition in a couple of weeks. And then what about that other side of things of like, you know, of opportunities to meet uh, agents, managers, casting directors, and then maybe the interaction with those uh, um, business representatives? How how do you uh, attack or handle that kind of thing? So we do a lot of master classes uh, attached to this course in your senior year. Every Friday as a master class, so we're bringing in you know all types. We're bringing in people from Actors Access, people from Equity, uh, different agents. We have a lot of alumni who are agents and casting directors, so they come in and do a session with our students and meet our students there, as well as our our showcase that we do uh, at the end of the year. Uh, we are doing uh, we're kind of doing both worlds this year. We are doing a digital showcase mm-hmm. uh, through Breakdown Services that goes out to everyone, but we're also doing an in person showcase. Uh, in the city at Open Jar Studios for casting directors and different agents. Uh, it's, it, it is, I, I keep hearing different things. Some people are like, everyone, everyone wants digital now. But when I talk to casting directors, they're like, but I don't know who they are. I don't get to really see them. So I think by doing it this way, we're really you know hitting everyone and people who want to come to live will not. If they don't, they can watch our self-tape version. I love it. Um, you mentioned that students come to your school from all over the country and maybe even all over the world. Um, do you have a sense of like percentage-wise how many of, your, of the students are from, let's say, the New York area versus all of the country and outside? And then I'd also love to hear, like, percentage-wise, how many do you feel like end up staying in New York versus going to L.A. or going regionally, et cetera? What, what percentage is sort of coming in, and then where, where do they end up? Um, I guess I don't know an exact percentage. I would say about maybe, like, 25% come from, like, the tri-state area or from New Jersey or uh-huh. from Connecticut, like, just right around the area. And I'd say the other 75% come from all over the country yep. um, from, you know, I haven't been at the school very long to really get a gauge of alumni, but it seems like, you know, we, we had a ton of alumni come and see Carrie. It seems like a good majority, I would say 50 to 60% stay around after because they Graduated just fall in love with the city yeah. and they just stay in New York from there. Totally. Um, what about, and you, you of course only share how much you know of this, but what about cost? If someone's looking at, you know, 
especially the parent listeners are thinking about how are we going to pay for all this <laughs> often? Um, you know, Absolutely. do we have a sense of what kind of the cost is in terms of um, the, the large ticket price, but then also in terms of scholarships and any of how that works? I don't know the exact price per year. I know that we are one of the, the cheapest private colleges in New York City. Um, by cheap, obviously in New York City, everything's expensive. So Relative <laughs> in that cheap, yeah. um, Scholarship wise, we offer a lot of scholarships. Uh, we offer uh, talent scholarships as well as academic scholarships. And you can combine those and they're guaranteed for all four years uh, once you get those. So as long as you meet the GPA requirements, whatever money you get offered in that first year, you get for all four years. Um, but I'm not sure the exact numbers on a no, that's totally cost. helpful and of course everyone can google what the the sticker price is it's just yeah i think often um the parents are can get confused about like wait so what do i expect to pay if i see that big number yeah. it's like what should i actually expect and some of that they can do academically with a net price calculator we've talked about that but you know the talent stuff it's all confusing certainly from that yeah standpoint. absolutely absolutely um what do you feel like is a, a a kind of best kept secret about uh marymount what's something that you go i wish I wish I'd known this maybe before I came or I wish more of my students had known this or they maybe are discovering hmm. it as they hit freshman year. What's something that's kind of like, oh, this is surprising given what's out there about Marymount? Uh, I think one of the cool things we do that I discover when I start working there is we have one of our gen ed classes is called New York City Seminar, um, which is classes that count as your gen ed that are all New York City based type of classes. Um, so we have different topics that you can take, such as like eating in New York City. And backstage in New York City, we were going backstage and learning about theaters, um, immigration in the city, learning about the parks and all these classes. You'll you'll be in your class and then you'll go out. They're all about branching out. So you're learning about the city and actually going out there in your first year because a lot of students moving are so nervous about being in New York City. So we're helping them explore different areas and learn about the culture and the history of the city, which I, I was like, oh, I wish I had a class like that. Uh, that was a gen ed requirement. Uh, so I think that's one of the amazing things that we offer. Um and I think just the advantages of being in New York City early in your career, I tell my students, I was like, by choosing to come to Marymount, your career has already started because people are already able to see you and watch you. You're already, and we're encouraging you to go out there and have people see you at 54 Below. We had a student that was uh, in Cary just get signed by a manager who was an alumni who, who agents and managers are coming to see our actual productions uh -huh. and you know, meet with students after and are signing them there before they even get to the showcase. So, you know, I didn't think about that as much when I was applying for schools. I'm like, oh, what would be that advantage of being in New York City? I'm like, oh, you can start casting directors and people are already going to know you if you're putting yourself out there before you even graduate, which is a huge advantage. Totally. And do you feel like you, you know, often we'll talk about that exact pro and then the kind of con of it. Do you feel like you sometimes see with your students the con of like, students maybe who aren't ready to be seen by managers and that you go, actually, if you do think you need a little bit more of a bubble, this might not be the school for you. Is that something you ever actually see in, in your students? You go, oh, I'm not sure they were ready for this moment. Uh, you yeah. Know, you I mean, know. that that does that, that can happen sometimes. We have a lot of students who come in and are just like, New York City is not for me. Like, I want to uh -huh. be in a, in a small town. I'm like, great. Then let's find a place for you and let's have that meeting. Because it's true. It's not for everybody. It's yeah. really a different lifestyle. And our students either thrive right away or you really see them struggle. And, you know, we talk about them. Some of them switched out of musical theater into it. You know, we're, we're allowing you to switch into acting if you decide like, hey, I, I, this isn't for me right now. Uh -huh. um, and then some students transfer out because and it's not because of the school. It's a lot of the times it's because I want to move back home or I want to go a different college experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Um, all right, this was fantastic. We're going to take a short break, and on the back end, we're going to talk a little bit about auditioning um, for Marymount. So back in a flash. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. We are back with Michael Mendez. We're going to chat a little bit about auditioning for Marymount. Um, I'd love to start with the general and kind of awful question of just what do you think makes a great audition? What, what's something that you go, if I see this audition, it makes me go, I love this student. I want them to, to come to school here. Students who really just are comfortable and understand who they are as a person already always really stands out to me. You know, we're always looking for really unique individuals who are just there to have a good time and are, are not, you know, stressed out by the situation. I know it's really hard. Most of them are stressed mm-hmm. out no matter what we do. Um, and ones who are just ready to have a conversation and can chat about their lives. Like I, I spend a lot of time in when I can one-on-one just to like have a conversation so I can learn about them as people and what they're looking for and you know, what they expect out of a program. Uh, but just being yourself, which sounds, you know, so basic and so easy, but a lot of people walk into a room and freeze up and become somebody that they're not. And I'm like, I just want, and I try before to always like, you know, do an info session or speak before for doing an in-person thing, just to kind of like loosen up the mood because I'm so casual. I like, and I also, it doesn't, I don't seem that far removed from doing this myself, uh-huh. even though it's been quite a while. Uh, but like, I remember what that's like. So I just try and make them as comfortable as possible. Um, it's such a good advice. And I love that you do that for them, that you try to talk to them. It's often what I tell people of like, listen to like, even if it's 10 minutes, listen to 10 minutes of me talking to the person you're about to audition for just to get a sense of their vibe, like to make, make yeah. them feel like a real human being as opposed to the person who's like, oh God, you're an auditor who's judging me. When you're like, yeah. if you listen to Michael, you cannot be like, oh, I should be really like stodgy for him. Like it's like no, clearly <laughs> he's loose and fun and casual and all things you're saying. Um, what about any, any kind of red flags, anything you see where you go, oh, this maybe is not the right student for me when I see this present in an audition? Um, I think something I'm noticing, I mean, this is only my second cycle of auditioning. I actually was just in LA doing some live auditions, which is great, is because there's so many BFA programs now and different opportunities, students are auditioning for, you know, 20 plus schools sometimes, which I get. But it's very clear to me the students who are actually very interested in our school and the uh-huh. students who are just like, I just applied for a school and, and here's this audition. I don't really know anything about you. Right. So that's usually a red flag me because we're, you know, it's hard to pin down a class when last year we saw 1300 people for our program. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking at people who actually have taken some interest in our program, who've actually done a little research and looked into it. So I know I'm like, oh, we might not be your number one, but we're at least like somewhere on your list where you're going to consider coming if we accept you into the program. Um, that means a lot to me. And yeah. there's some that I ask questions and I'm like, oh, you have like, 
you just know it's in New York. If New York's the only uh, thing you can say is it's in New York City, that's usually a red flag for me. I'm like, I don't think we're, you're taking us seriously at this point in the process. And that's meaning that you might then say no to someone who you go, you are so talented, but I just yeah. don't think you're that necessarily interested in me. And I don't want to be just a backup to you. I don't want to be a just an easy yeah. guess that you keep in your back pocket. We also get a lot of students who have agents or because already have representation because they're like, oh, I want to be in New York. And I have really good conversations with them because I really want to figure out, are you just moving here because you want to get to New York and audition uh-huh. here? Because again, I don't want you to take a spot of someone who really wants the education and oh, wants years. to learn yeah. here. And yeah. it doesn't mean we won't accept those students. We definitely have before. And I always, I'm like, have you talked to your agent at all about, you know, what this process is? And most of them are like, no. And I'm like, you got to have that conversation. Uh-huh. Like you got to, you know, start talking to them and figure out like, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, I'm going to ask you my favorite question, which just is if you had to estimate you know, you mentioned that conversation that you have often with students. How much, if you're trying to get to a yes or a no, or maybe even a yes, no, or maybe if there's a waitlist pile, mm-hmm. how much of that decision is based on the songs, monologue, you know, talent that you're seeing in the work versus how much is based on the kind of human being that you're meeting, whether it's in the interview or an adjustment, any of those kind of intangible stuff? To me, it's kind of 50-50. It's, I, it's one thing I tell, like, advice to students is like, because, we, you know, we ask for two cuts in a monologue for our auditions. And a lot of the times I don't see all of it. Some like I, I saw this girl in LA, I had her sing one song. I gave her an adjustment because I like to work and see how people work. Mm-hmm. And then I just talked to her the rest of the time and she got accepted. Mm-hmm. But she's like, it, mom, it was exactly. terrible. He didn't even tell me I see my monologue. Yeah. That I've had students on, on, you know, we do live zoom auditions. I've seen them cry when I'm like, they're like, open up my monologue. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Thank you. Like I saw all I need and I see them starting to cry and I'm like, you got in. Like, yeah, you're don't worry. In. Like, okay. I love you. Like, so it's don't make those decisions to yourself of like what our process is because some people I need to hear all three because I'm like on the fence or I just uh-huh. I'm curious to see what you're going to bring. Some I know after one thing, I'm like, I really like your talent. Now I, I, I'm interested to see how you are in a conversation and what you're like and and making that decision. So it's really 50 50. It's really, you know, depends on the person. Well, and you mentioned some of those pearl differences between in-person and, and self-tape. How do you feel like now having, it seems like in the past two years, navigated some of the Zoom platform and some of the in-person platform, how do you feel like the audition is different, if at all, or, or how are you judging differently um, on those it's, platforms? It's challenging. So we do, right now we do three different modes, which is a lot. So we do the live in-person where, you know, I went to LA and now we're starting all of our live New York ones on the weekends. We also do through Accepted, we do live Zoom auditions mm-hmm. where they're doing it. And then we just do a self-tape alone. So for the self-tape alone, uh, it's really important that you give a wild card video that's specific about why you want to come to the school and telling us about you or else I have no sense of who you are at mm-hmm. all. So the people who don't succeed through the self-tapes are the ones who just are like sending the general one they've used for every school uh-huh. or, you know, just don't really try and talk to us at all because I just, I have, I really want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to do self-tape, I highly recommend, you know, something personal. Um, and for the live and Zoom, I mean, they're really similar. It's obviously easier in live in person because it's just, you don't have to deal with technology, but like mm-hmm. I find on Zoom, um, I get a sense of your voice and then I usually want to hear see a monologue so I can see how you are as an actor. And then I usually want to spend time talking to you. Um, you just learn so much more that way. So I don't think there's an advantage either way. It's just really to make sure that, you know, you understand that that conversation is a really valuable piece to your audition. And if, mm-hmm. if we spend more time doing that, that's probably a good thing. I love it. And then, okay, so imagining that you and, and or any faculty that's looking at them from the, the theater department or a yes, you go, I really like this person artistically, the talent-wise, I love their conversation, everything about them is a yes. 
what then needs to happen for the school in terms of, you know, sending it off with the academics, whether it's grades, SATs, essays, you know, mm -hmm. how does the theater department interact with any of those things like essays or letters of recommendation and or how does the academic department then look at those things and give you a final yes or no? So you have to have applied for the college and get accepted before, usually before you can even audition. So once you're auditioning at that point, usually as long as all your application stuff is complete and you've gotten an answer from the school, it's just a yes. So it's when we're yes. auditioning- You can give a final yeah. yes now. Yeah. Yeah. I just give final yeses. Mm -hmm. um, I also tell students, I, I was talking to my group in LA. I said, if you get waitlisted, it is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So you have to remember this, this was our second- in-person audition of the season. I'm like, we have these all the way through the beginning mm -hmm. of March and we're accepting a class of 50 and we have to be careful and we take a certain amount from each one. And we take, I take so many notes as far as our wait list, as far as like, you know, how do I want to place them as we're going back to our list? So it's easy to figure out who mm -hmm. are people we loved. And we just were like, still like, just want to make sure we're giving everyone a chance first. Yep. So a lot of people on our wait list end up getting offers um, by the end. But I know when you get that initial wait list, sometimes you're like, oh, great. Like they didn't like me. And I'm like, no, we're just being careful because we don't want to overload and have too many people in our class. Totally. Yeah. Do you have a sense of how many, um, what percentage of the wait list or how many people off that wait list in terms, you know, I think that's something that students often think like, oh, maybe it's a couple people. And we're like, no, in general, it can be a big churn. I mean, there's yeah. only, each student can only take up one spot. Do you have a sense of, of for you guys, like in previous years, how, what percentage of the wait list or, or how many students off the wait list come off? I think it changes every year. I think last year we had ended up with a class of 55, which is our goal is between 50 and 60. We don't mm -hmm. want to go over that. Um, and it's so tricky. I think we give out like a hundred of the 1300. We gave out a hundred yeses knowing uh -huh. that, you know, we'll oh, see where that number goes. And I think we ended up being maybe 30 uh, first choices in that. And then from there sent out another 50, you know, right. 50 or so wait. And then we slow, we, we slowly release them because we just want to make sure that, Right. It's coming. Some will but say no from the wait list. And then you have to exactly. go to the wait list. Yeah. Yep. And it's, I think now, it, because there's so many options, so many programs, it's just so hard to get a real sense of like, you know, where people, because some people don't find out until, you know, May. We, I auditioned in LA on Sunday. Our students found out they were in on Thursday. Uh -huh. Our turnaround is, it's we, quick. we're quick. Because right. I know, because I have the final say. I'm like, yes, let's turn it in. We're going to get that in the portal and they'll find uh -huh. out immediately because we don't, we don't want you to have to sit around for weeks and weeks wondering. We want you yep. to know if we want you um, right away. Yeah. But I mean, and it's, yeah, it's definitely confusing. Also as more and more schools are being um, conscious of their yield and accepting fewer off the first batch of it, there means there's more yeses off wait lists from other schools. And so people keep getting pulled in different yeah. directions and it's really, it's, it is a whole it's, part it's a of the puzzle. Process. It's a puzzle. Yeah. And, but then I, I think one part academically, do you look at any of the parts of the, do you look at the essays? Do you look at the letters of recommendation? Do you look at their grades? Do you look at any of the academic application or are you only viewing the? You know? I'm only viewing what, you know, I look at their resume, um, which is also a great tool. I mean, I, I love when I see, you know, students who take part, like in your program or the different you know, prep programs. Cause a lot of the times I'm like, okay, like I know you were coached by someone great. So I want to give you adjustments just to see if I'm like, can you change? Can you right. do something on the spot? Um, so like, I really am only looking at their resumes, but yeah, we don't see anything academically. Love it. And then what about, you know, as you're making the decision, you mentioned you don't always even look at the monologues, you know, what, what are you, if you're viewing, you know, um, song, singing versus singing talent versus song acting talent versus mm -hmm. monologue of acting talent versus dance in terms of if that factors in it at all, mm -hmm. how, how do you kind of weigh the questions in terms of is, is, do they getting different scores in different disciplines? Is it more of a holistic yes or no? How does the artistic yes come to be? So we do a, a score in both like, you know, 
musical theater and acting as far as like their vocals and acting. Um, I am I'm a storyteller first. I'm an actor first. So I can tell when someone's singing their song, if they really understand the story and their talent and, and they have a really good sense as an actor. Um, if I don't, if I can tell them like, oh, you have a good voice, but I don't think you're, that was the best performance of the song. Then I'm going to want to see the monologue because I want to uh -huh. see how you are as an actor in that case. Um, so that's usually when I don't do that. Um, dance wise, it can only help you. It does not hurt you at all. We don't, for self tapes and for uh, the Zoom, they don't have to do a dance. Uh -huh. um, we ask that they, if you are a strong dancer, include it in your wild card because that is a benefit. Uh, for the in-person, they dance and I only hear about the dance call if it's someone that our our professor of dance says is like exceptional. Uh -huh. Just so we can keep that in mind as we're watching their audition. If they're an exceptional dancer and I see them I'm like, oh, you seem really trainable. Like, great. You're someone we're going to uh -huh. want. Uh -huh. um, but otherwise, like, you know, we don't dance. We say like, if you're not a dancer, that's totally fine. It's, it can only help you. It cannot hurt you at all. That's really cool. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about, about, you know, I know you've only been in the school. You said this, now this is your third year? Second year. Your second year in school. So, so you know, you've really come in at a time of turbulent change in the educational yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned some of the specific academic changes, but how do you feel like the school, or at least your experience of, you know, education in general, how do you feel like it is adjusting from, you know, sort of the trauma of 2020 in terms of what it was, yeah. both with COVID, but then also with George Floyd? And how are you guys adjusting to um, any changes that you, that you feel like need to be made? Like all schools have been going through, you know, a hard time. And I feel like I came in as part of the changes that the school wanted to make um, as new faculty. I'm one of four new full-time faculty um, that are diverse BIPOC and to bring more uh, a diverse faculty to the full-time because we have a lot of adjuncts, but there wasn't a lot of full-time faculty before um, that could speak for our students, uh, which has been one of my favorite parts of teaching is, you know, I'm from LA, I'm a Latino actor and getting to work with Latino Latinx students um, a lot of times like you're the first teacher I've ever had mm -hmm. that like knew anything about my experience. Mm -hmm. um, I had a student make me cry on like my, one of my first semesters who we, we, I was doing a role project with them. I'm like, what do you want to do? And she was like, you know, I feel like all, all I've ever been told I can play is Maria in West High Story. And I was like, well, what do you want to play? And she was like, I've always dreamed of playing Eliza Doolittle in my lady. I'm like, let's do it. And like she did such amazing work working on the character on her final day. I, I was like, what are you going to tell us what your role and why you chose it? And she was like, I've never had a teacher that, you know, knew my background and where I came from that like actually believed I could do something outside of the box. Mm. And like, I like, I mean, it really <laughs> solidified. I'm like, I, I'm doing the right thing and I chose the right profession. Um, and our, our other new faculty that we hired are fantastic. They're so smart and offer so much. And the four of us are really working and trying to have conversations with each other to be like, okay, how can we keep growing this program and making it a really inclusive space for everyone? Mm -hmm. um, and also the faculty, our chair has been so amazing and really, you know, takes the time to work with us and is allowing us to also work outside in the business. Uh -huh. One of our, our full-time professors, Jess Mill, um, she, she just booked uh, a doll's house on Broadway and they were like, that's an amazing thing for us in our school. So she's able to keep her full-time position, go be Jessica Chastain's best friend and then mm. bring that education right back to our program, which I think is so unique. And I'm so grateful for the school to let us still be artists as well and teach full time and be a part of the classes. I mean, that's great from the, from the university. I mean, a lot of schools talk about we have actively working 
faculty, you know, but it's like, are you going to put the money where the mouth is to let that really happen? You know, is actively working mean just in the summer, I sometimes do a commercial or does it mean I'm really working in the business? Yeah. Any advice that you have? Um, you said it was a bit, it's been a long time though. It looks, if anyone's watching the video, it looks like it was just last year you did this process yourself. <laughs> um, but to any of those prospective students who are kind of beginning their journey, let's imagine maybe it's a junior because, you know, anyone listening now who's a senior really would be partway through yeah. or most way through their journey. Any juniors who are beginning their journey, like what would your advice be to go, I'm, I'm just starting to look at this process. I'm, I'm not sure exactly, you know, what I should be doing in this process and what I should be looking for. Um, what would your advice be to the, those students? Start figuring out what you love to sing and what you love to perform and work on those pieces now so that you don't feel the pressure of like, it, it's so obvious to me when someone comes in, I'm like, your teacher told you to do this mm -hmm. for your audition. And someone who came in is just like, I just love this song. I just love performing this piece. I don't believe in do not sing less or do not. I'm like, do what you, at this point, do what you love to sing because that's going to bring the most joy out of this mm -hmm. experience. This should be a fun experience. Uh, I feel like I, I had set these goals. Like don't set these goals of like, this is where I have to go to school mm -hmm. because you're going to get whatever you want out of a program that you end up going to. If you're going to put in the work, you're going to get so much out of it. I remember thinking when I went to Arizona at the time, it wasn't as popular of a program. And I was nervous that I'm like, oh, it's not on the top list of top 10 schools to go mm -hmm. to. But I went and visited the school and I fell in love with it. And I was like, this feels right to me. Mm -hmm. So don't make lists. Don't pre-plan anything. Just let the process work out and you will end up where you're meant to be. And if you put in that work, then you can make all your dreams come true and you can get go and do whatever you want to do after that. Yeah, just have fun. On that inspirational note, we will end uh, the podcast. Where, if people want to check out more of you, um, more of Marymount, where should people check out more information um, if they're like, I didn't get enough from this 40 minutes of, of podcast? <laughs> yeah, our, our website is mmm.edu. Mm -hmm. uh, you can follow us on Instagram at MMC Theater Arts, mm -hmm. uh, or you can follow me on Instagram at Mendez with four Zs. Mendez with four Zs. Just figure oh, yeah. out where they go. You'll figure it out. <laughs> um, Michael, this was such a joy. Thanks for the time today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Yes, yes, yes. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Michael Mendez. How could you not find him to be fun and charming? But I also really loved how down to earth and intelligent he was and is. Um, he clearly has a real sense of what the program has been and can be. And it's really exciting to hear about some of his contributions to said program. Um, I have like 19 takeaways to do from today, but I'm going to try to focus in on one, at least to spend the majority of the time on. So let's give a little head nod to talking about wait lists. We will definitely do that in a future episode for sure. For now, I'll just say I totally agree with his sentiment that you should all take being waitlisted as a huge compliment. It means you did your job and they like you. And now the next steps become a bit of luck as well as some strategy, which we can talk about, of whether it turns into a yes or a no. But to receive that from a first audition, it puts you in a great and small category of people in that most people auditioning do not receive a wait list. And for a lot of these schools, most people don't even pass the pre-screen, right? So I love that Michael shared some really specific numbers for, you know, pre-screens and callbacks and acceptances and his yields. And that really is going to vary a lot from school to school. But in general, getting to the wait list is always a huge win. More on that in depth soon. Um, I'll also give a slight head nod to interviews. I love what he talked about with the interviews and showing interest in schools. 
especially especially those schools that might not be number one on everybody's list and how important that is. Does this feel like just another long string of dates on your social calendar or are you genuinely excited to be in the room with these people? It doesn't mean you have to be an expert on every school you audition for, but to be genuinely curious and at least somewhat knowledgeable makes you much more attractive than if the school feels like just a number. And that can totally make the difference between a yes and a wait list or a wait list and a no for those similarly talented students. Um, I'll try to talk more about that as well. It's on the list to get deeper into. We have many of these wonderful takeaways. Um, but what I really want to talk about today, since it is so perfectly timed with where our seniors are right now, is the idea of how much you focus on the reaction behind the table while you are auditioning. Every year this happens, and this year was a particular example of it, where the students, and maybe especially I'll say the parents, focus so much energy on trying to decode what the reactions of the people behind the table mean as opposed to being able to focus on your audition. We talked about this a bit with Tom Miller from Syracuse and kind of finding your game tape mentality, right? how you can focus on you and trying to improve your artistic work and your auditioning skill and not waste time focusing on whether the school said good job or great job or excellent job or whatever it is that they said. Right? We often talk about this when we say, hey, do your job, don't do the school's job. Your job is to put together a great audition and execute it to the best of your ability. And hopefully, if you've done this process conscientiously and listened to your wonderful MTCA coaches, that audition involves vulnerably revealing your best artistic self to these faculty. And then their job is to decide whether or not you, having done that, are a fit for their program. And the great news about this process, unlike plenty of professional processes, is that you do get an answer in the form of a yes, no, or sometimes a wait list slash deferred or that category of answers, but you'll get an answer from each of these schools. But at this time, especially, while we're stuck firmly in the torturous waiting game, a lot of students and parents start spinning stories. Um, you know, This person took 15 minutes with me, and therefore that means I'm definitely in. Or this audition was six minutes flat, so I'm out. It must mean I'm out. Or this school made me an offer in the room, so therefore they really like me more than this other school that waited three days, or this other school that is going to wait three weeks. All of that is unhelpful to you. And now, I say this, I do understand how vulnerable this process is, and it feels really good to have people compliment you in the room, right? I watched some of our students grow three inches from hearing compliments from walk-in schools who had been strangers minutes before. And conversely, it can feel really harsh to your ego when all they say is, thanks so much, good job, Charlie. But as you heard with Michael, that exact response can absolutely lead to an acceptance, and the former response is no guarantee of one. And it is worth noting, I think, which I tried to make a point of in our kickoff meeting in L.A., that walk-in schools and schools that are not as traditionally high-yielding do have the onus to do a bit more work compared to the schools that have been around longer and have bigger names, right? I had a few students remark to me in Chicago, why does it feel like all of my best auditions are for the schools that weren't as high on my list? And while some of that could be about the nerves and the stakes for the students, I know at least some of it is because often the schools that are walk-ins or that are lower on students' list have a bit more work to do in complimenting and schmoozing and finding creative ways to get you to come to their programs. Where the schools that are a bit more stoic likely feel like they can make the offer in a few weeks and then schmooze you, right? And I know for some of the schools, they're actually a bit more concerned about getting your hopes up before they know for sure. Many of these schools, as they go through the process, will have a big pile of students that they're interested in, that they know they like, but then they have to go back and fight it out for which ones make their initial class of 24 or whatever the number is. 
and they don't necessarily want to flirt very hard with students if they don't know for sure if they're in that initial 24 if they're in the initial 48 or whatever if they're initially a waitlist or initially a yes even though they may know they like you they don't know what the final result is and they don't necessarily want to get your hopes up now i hear those precocious listeners saying charlie didn't you just give me the advice that you are auditioning them as much as they are auditioning you and to you i say how dare you throw my advice back in my face but yes this is an excellent point And nowhere in this process do I give an excuse for rudeness behind the table. Or if you notice someone being very cold and very professional and that's a turnoff to you, I think it is absolutely worth noting. Put it in the journal, right? But I just want to make the point to not put too much credence to the difference between one school being over-the-top ebullient and another school just being warm and a bit more reserved, right? That may be more indicative of how they choose to run their auditions versus what the personality is as a school. And the you're auditioning them advice is really two parts. One, it's kind of another sneaky way to give you more confidence and backbone in the audition room. You talked about all this confidence I'm trying to give you. Maybe not to give away all of your power to them, but to meet them as equal collaborators for your sake. And the second part, which is that you are the customer and that you in the end are deciding where you're going to put your, your deposit down. That is still absolutely true. But for me, I would consider that a longer process than just the eight minutes of the audition room. So for that, it's not just about you're auditioning them in the room, you're auditioning them all year, right? That process begins when you're doing research on the school, perhaps with an episode like this, and continues through the pre-screen and the application process into the audition process for sure, and then culminates most importantly, I would say, with the visit, attending classes, talking to alumni, et cetera. So while the audition should be a part of this process, it's just a small part. And as much as I want you all to be alive and awake and open and curious in those rooms and to have genuine experiences, I have found in the past 20 years that most 17-year-olds in their fully adrenalized audition selves are not the best narrators of experience. I'll often hear something like, oh God, the people behind the table were so quick and cold after a short audition. And then after that same audition turns into an acceptance, somehow those same professors are like just the nicest people ever, right? So for now, I would say breathe, journal, and try not to let yourself spin too much during this period of time. There are still weeks, and if you can believe it, months to go in this process. Find a new hobby. Maybe watch the next season of Survivor and listen to Come On In Survivors, my other podcast. But don't get too far ahead of yourself for now. You've trusted this process so far. Keep trusting it a bit longer. Well, that's it. A long takeaway to, let's just say it, a fantastic episode of Mapping the College Audition. If you agree, rate us and review us. Uh, Follow us at Mapping the College Audition and MTCA on all of our socials media. We have some silly TikToks these days, so you can click on those and dance along. Uh, Don't forget the Junior Workshop on the 27th, which is in the show notes as well, as is our website, mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, just think what opportunities are waiting for you in your Facebook ads. We'll see you next week. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.